Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Howdy. Welcome back, my good friends. Thank you for your time once again today. When the United States of America formed, it was uh, men known as the founders of this country that set up a system of government that would surely protect the rights of its citizens. They considered democracy to be an enemy of the rights of man as it was nothing more than mob rule. So when it came to just the justice system, they carefully tried to walk a fine line between victim and perpetrator as to attempt as closely as possible to ensure that the justice system was truly neutral when it came to showing favor for either party. While seeing that true justice was administered to the guilty party in the meantime, they operated under the premise of the accused being totally innocent until proven guilty. They would prefer that 99 guilty criminals be found innocent than one innocent man be found guilty, which is a premise that is still taught in laws of schools across the country today. The justice system, however, was only as good as those honest enough to uphold its tenets, for once it was corrupted, then there's no end to the wrong that mankind can do to themselves, either regardless of innocent or guilty. Once it's broken, it's simply broken. Come on in, make yourselves to home, and give me a listen as I tell you the tale of just such an incident. Now, we've been to Logan, West Virginia before this season, and 
and we know that it sits in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains near the border of Kentucky and Virginia. What is now Logan is initially called Islands of the Gyandot by explorers who identified the site in the 1780s. By 1827, a town was laid out at the site to serve as the county seat for Logan County, which had been established in 1824. The city was initially known as Lawsonville, after Anthony Lawson, an early merchant, but it was shortened to Lawnsville. In the early 1950s, or 1850s, Thomas Dunn English, a poet and future congressman, led efforts to reorganize the town. When the town incorporated in 1853, it was named Aracoma, after the Shawnee Chief Cornstalk's daughter, who had been killed by settlers in the area in 1780. The city was renamed Logan in 1907 after the Mingo leader, Chief Logan. Well, Mamie Thompson was a, or Mamie Thurman was a housewife in Logan. She and her husband, Jack, had moved to Logan from their hometown of Louisville, Kentucky in 1924. Jack and Mamie rented a small two-room apartment over the garage located in the backyard of Henry and Louise Robertson's home. Mr. Robertson worked for the National Bank of Logan and served as a treasurer of the Logan Public Library. His wife was the treasurer of the Logan's Woman's Club, and both were said to be active church members. Now, some of you may wonder just what a woman's club is. I can say that I never really fully understood exactly what it was either, uh, other than knowing that my grandmother was a member of the local woman's club, and she hosted meetings at her house. When I was a little feller, I'd go over to the meetings because I knew that there was going to be some good food there, along with pie and cake. I went to so many of them that I may as well have been an honorary member of the woman's club for that one purpose alone, official food taster. Actually, the woman's club became a dominant part of the movement by women across the country. The movement was started because women felt that they had a voice that needed to be heard in policies and laws that are being developed. The movement actually worked as their, or actually worked as their united voice were heard from coast to coast loud and clear. That eventually led to women being accepted into government positions and they're previously been barred from holding. Not necessarily by law as much as the old boy system that was firmly ensconced in many cities across the country. But anyway, Jack Thurman had learned, worked as a Logan City patrolman for 15 months. He landed his job due to the efforts of Mr. Robertson, who was president of the city commission also. It seems that Mr. Robertson was quite an intertwined in the local happenings, don't it? But some folks said that Mamie was a good wife, a saintly woman, and a faithful church worker at Nybert Memorial, which was a prestigious church near the train tracks at the intersection of Cole and White Streets in downtown Logan. If there was a bake sale, Mamie baked and sold goodies for him. If there was in need of anybody in the community, Mamie would be there. And if the church doors were open, you'd find Mamie there all the time. While those good folks were singing their praises, there were others standing out back by the gossip fences. Well, with I know something on somebody look on their faces as they cut her to pieces behind her back, saying that 
this same saintly lady was a married woman living fast and loose in a small town that couldn't keep a secret of a neighbor going to the outhouse in the middle of the night, let alone anything else. According to the ones known as Bertha Better, the news of the little community, Mamie had an ongoing relationship with the aforementioned man about town, Mr. Robertson, as well as more than a dozen other powerful men in the county. Yes, that would be the same Mr. Robertson who had gotten her husband his job and from whom they rented her apartment. As it would come to pass, the birth or bed of the news were certainly right about at least one thing. There was something squirrely going on, sure enough, because on June 22, 1932, Mamie's lifeless body was found where it had been dumped onto what was then Trace Mountain. Today it's called 22 Mountain. Mamie had been savagely murdered, shot in the head twice, and she'd also suffered a broken neck, and her face was left disfigured and powder burned. And her throat had also been cut from ear to ear, leaving no doubt that the murderer intended for her to be dead. Dead and dead and dead yet again. Just in case the first two tries didn't work, which, every order they might have been delivered in, Garland Davis, a young deaf mute, stumbled upon the gruesome scene while picking berries. How many of us hill folk have been out doing that and returned home with berry-stained fingers and about as many blackberries in our bellies we had in our bucket? I know I did. But can you imagine not being able to hear in those days, not being able to effectively communicate due to the lack of any formal training because there just was so few people in the specialized field that they were difficult, if not impossible, to get hold of, much less afford them if you could. Little did poor Garland know that his discovery would lead to a sensational headline that still have people wondering to this day what exactly happened and who killed Mamie Thurman. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend. On about 8.30 on the evening of June 22nd, Harry Robertson and his handyman Clarence Stevenson were both pounced on, arrested, and dragged down to the Logan County Jail for a few questions. It seems that the stories of the birth of better than news had actually made it back to the police. Now, Clarence Stevenson had never been married and actually lived in the attic of the Robertson home. He did many odd jobs for the Robertson family, but his main duty was to feed and care for Mr. Robertson's hunting dogs. See, Mr. Robertson was a prominent sportsman and found it very important to take good care of his hunting dogs. I'd say that would certainly be true if he actually went to the trouble of hiring a full-time dog keeper to do it for him, wouldn't you? But the whole situation does make a person wonder about Mr. Robertson's ability to care about others, as from what I found, he had a very nice home, so why in the world would he stick poor Clarence up in the attic instead of one of the bedrooms of the house? seems to me that the good Commissioner Robertson could have been one of those politicians that are more about their own self-image and putting on an Alzey and Harriet family show all the while undermining the whole thing themselves out of pure selfishness, but uh, who really knows? Mr. Robertson finally cracked under interrogation and admitted to the police that he had been having an intimate relationship with Mamie and told how he arranged the dates with her with the help of his... Clarence, the dog whisperer. 
enter the Bertha Bettigan news, I told you so right here, by the way. He would tell his wife that he was going fox hunting, and they would take their guns, load them up, and load up the dogs and drive off in Mr. Robertson's Ford. Clarence would drive him to one of the rendezvous points that Mamie knew well, and I would have to wonder at this point if one of those rendezvous points was maybe where Mamie was found. I never could confirm that, but eh, it could have been. On July 29th, a little over a month after Mamie's murder, there were hordes of people gathering around the Logan Courthouse at 6 o'clock in the morning in hopes of being able to witness the proceedings that day. Many of Logan County's prominent citizens, some were even associates of the prime suspect, Harry Robertson, served on the grand jury, which was to intervene that day to decide on an indictment in the death of Mamie Thurman. Mr. Robertson took the stand to testify and said Mamie gave him a list of 16 men with whom she had had illicit affairs. He claimed that the list was given to him about a year before her murder. Now, why in the world Mamie would do that? Well, I just couldn't say. But Mr. Robertson testified that one of the men is dead. All except three live in the city of Logan, and all are married but one. Of course, the list of the 16 men who were said to have had the relationship with Mamie had never been made public. And one has to wonder why, don't we? But many claim some of these men were named on the grand jury, which, of course, is sealed testimony. So apparently none of the Bertha Better Than News were on the grand jury. Mr. Robertson said he continued seeing Mamie, even though he, she refused to stop seeing other men. Mr. Robertson added that the last time he saw Mamie was the day she was killed. He left his house shortly after that to take his children to a swimming pool at Stallings. And later that evening, he said he went to the smokehouse to listen to a prize fight <clears throat> broadcast on the radio with his son, excuse me, and was home by about 9 o'clock in the evening. His wife later confirmed his statement, and I guess that uh, that's about the time she was hoping that she could get him back home to kill him herself. Magistrate Elba Hatfield told the grand jury that all the evidence was circumstantial, but claimed that it was very damning against both Clarence and Mr. Robertson. Now, just how in the world Clarence stood accused of it isn't exactly clear, but it is said that he was Mr. Robertson's constant companion. Oh, and there's another thing. Clarence was black. Now, I use the term black because my good friend who was I was raised with all the way through school, who I played music with and just hung out with and who became an evangelist preacher was black. One of the last times I saw Reverend Barnes, we talked about the term African-American. He told me that he hated the term. He wasn't born in Africa, hadn't ever seen Africa, and didn't ever have any desire to go anywhere near Africa, and that if the color of his skin must be referenced, that he preferred the term to be black or a person of color. Now, I remember going to see Reverend Barnes preach at a church near my home a few years ago. I guess it's been quite a few years ago now. We had lunch at the Golden Corral and caught up on old times, and then we said that uh, then the next time we meet, we'd catch up again next time around. About two months later, I received the news that he had died, and that's the reason I used the term black, or person of color, to honor my friend's wishes. 
But getting back to the story, for that reason, he ruled that Mr. Robertson and Clarence Stevenson should be held over to answer any indictments returned by the grand jury. The jury ended a four-day inquiry on September 15th, and the following day, the Logan banner carried the headlines of the day, saying, Harry Robertson not indicted. Instead, the poor Clarence Stevenson was indicted by grand jury and stood trial for the murder of Mamie Thurman. It was said that there was a witness that saw Clarence and Mamie together many times and that Clarence was one of the men who was having affairs with Mamie. Uh, you know, it could have been that or the poor man was just fetching Mamie for Mr. Robertson, but again, who knows? According to the banner, witnesses at the trial accounted for every minute of Clarence Stevens' time up until 11 o'clock on June 22nd when Miss Robertson said that he went up to his attic bedroom. However, the jury was out for 50 minutes before returning a guilty verdict with a recommendation of mercy, which carried a life sentence. Mr. Stevenson's attorney immediately entered a motion for a new trial. On November 15th, police from the Logan County branch of the NAACP went across the country to raise the $600 needed for the appeal. 56 churches in Logan began taking donations, more than 3,000 people attended a mass meeting held in Aracoma High School with all the races of people who attended. Despite all the efforts, the Supreme Court turned down Mr. Stevenson's appeal in 1933, kept the $600 appellate fee, and went on with life. Mr. Stevenson was then sent to Moundsville Prison on August 22, 1934. Then on June 11, 1939, he was transferred to Huntsville prison from where he died of stomach cancer on April 24, 1942. He was buried in the prison farm on May 2, 1942, almost 10 years after the death of Mamie Thurman, for which he was blamed. Norman Sloan, a Logan County resident who spent time in jail with Mr. Stevenson, said that Mr. Stevenson told him that he was hired to take the body to 22 Mountain and that he didn't do anything to Mamie Thurman. He never did say who did kill her, but he said that he didn't do it. Mr. Stevenson told me it was all politics. From what I can gather, it sounds like the locals believe that there was some pretty prominent names on Miss Thurman's list and just wanted it all to go away, especially after finding out that there was a written list with their names on it. To do that, they first had to shut Mamie up and then blame it on a poor black man who didn't have any means to hire a proper defense team. All while, the white man who likely had something to do with it and who was the employer of Mr. Stevenson continued on with life as if nothing had ever happened. All of that while, justice for Mamie, who may have been up to some shady stuff, sure as heck didn't deserve to be murdered for it, and I guess her justice was just never truly gained. If you're ever in Logan County, West Virginia area, you can still hear people talk about the unsolved tragedy of Mamie Thurman and how her ghost still walks the hills of Logan County looking for the one who took her life. Keeping her story alive and well is yet another murder mystery and legend of the Appalachian Mountains. I hope you've enjoyed hearing our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast and don't forget to subscribe, please. You can run over to our Patreon page at patreon.com and search Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Give it a look over and see what you think. If you'd like to join, there's several levels to do so, starting at Mountain Boomer, and you can go all the way up to Appalachian Hillbilly. 
we are still uh, alive and well on most of our servers and various different places like Apple Podcasts. And now we're on uh, Stitcher. We're uh, actually on iHeartRadio now, too, if you care to go check it out. Or you can just go to Facebook group Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast where we can discuss everything Appalachian or whatever else you want to talk about. I'll be right back soon with another Appalachian Murder Mystery or Legend, and I will see you then.